podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast, Tuesday, the 27th of October. This is the 50th episode of the Two-Footed Podcast. Thank you so much for all your support, for all your listens. It's been massively important to us trying to grow this show. Uh, We are brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at libertyshield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off your hardware or software package. Right, so last night we had Brighton and West Brom, followed by Burnley and Spurs, round out game week six. Uh, the Brighton-West Brom game was interesting for a couple of reasons. Brighton were clearly the better side first half. But the second half performance, it can only be described as dreadful. It was utterly dreadful. They managed somehow over the course of 90 minutes to be outplayed at home by a fairly bad West Brom team. Now, West Brom played well last night, it must be said, but it's disappointing for a club like Brighton, who are a possession-based team, play a certain style of football, to have less possession at home against a team that really and truly they should be beating. The first half performance, like I said, they did play well. They did create some chances. Adam Lallana should have scored. Uh, instead, he squared the ball to Mope, whose shot was saved quite well by Sam Johnston. Brighton did get, get their goal a little bit later. Uh, maybe the ugliest goal you're going to see all season. Tariq Lamptey's half cross takes one deflection. Ivanovic tries to clear it. It smacks Jake Livermore and ends up in the back of the net. The last three players to touch the ball were all West Brom players. Uh from there, I really did think Brighton will kick on from here. I thought this is where Brighton will step up. They'll show their quality. Yes, they're missing Lewis Dunk, but they have more than enough in this team to show their quality and win this game comfortably. And instead, they fell apart second half. They really did fall apart second half. But credit to West Brom. They grew and grew into the game. Mateus Pereira had a really good second half and he looked so dangerous, had a couple of really good long-range shots and they eventually get their, their reward with a Carlin Grant goal. I'm delighted for Carlin Grant. I was really impressed by that signing for West Brom. I think it took them a little bit too long to get the deal done, but it's a really good signing. He's a very, very good player. I think he will get them goals. Whether it's enough to keep them up remains to be seen. Still issues with the defence, but... It's a good goal. It will help his confidence. It will get him in the groove. And they looked good going forward. Now, I would put 60% of it on on Brighton. I was really disappointed. And I've been really disappointed with Brighton since the first couple of games of the season. Their home form is now a concern. Their away form is a concern. They have five points from their six games. They are unlucky. They did outplay Chelsea. They did comfortably outplay Manchester United but they managed to lose both of those games. They didn't outplay West Brom. They had a better first half than West Brom, but over the course of the 90, they allowed West Brom to probably be the better team. And 
and a point is, is, is deserved. West Brom's third point of the season, three draws for them, yet to win a game. But as long as they keep picking up points, they keep themselves in touch with the teams above them. And the team above them is Brighton. Uh, above that, then, is Manchester United. So you'd expect that United will break away from from the two of them. But you do kind of wonder whether or not West Brom and Brighton can maintain the gap on Burnley, on Sheffield United and on Fulham if they can. It could become quite apparent very early which teams are going down. Um, after that, then, we had Burnley at home to Tottenham Hotspur and Spurs get the late winner, Youngman Son, in the 76th minute with a really good header from a Harry Kane assist. It's the eighth assist from Harry Kane this season. It's Youngman Son's eighth goal this season. And in truth, this was Burnley's best performance of the season. Now, that's not saying a lot, given how poor they have been, but they did play a little bit better yesterday than they have in previous games. I thought they looked dangerous at times. I thought they showed a bit more purpose. I liked the balance they had in midfield with Goodmanson out right, um, Dwight McNeil on the left, and then Brownhill playing in his more natural central midfield position next to Ashley Westwood. I thought that balance was quite good. Um, Ashley Barnes up front with, with Chris Wood is always a handful for everything. And then they have actual fullbacks this time, actual balanced fullbacks. Matt Loughton is back in at right back, uh, having missed last week and, well, having missed most of the season so far with different injuries. But last week, obviously, they were forced to play Eric Peters, a left back at right back. And that was just, it killed any kind of balance they had in the team. There's obviously concerns for Burnley. One point from six games, sorry, one point from five games. They didn't play their first game uh, because of United and City being involved in, in the Europa League and Champions League last season. But one point from five games is a concern. It is a really bad start for Burnley. And the lack of strengthening in the summer is is really apparent. I mean, it's really apparent in this team. With due respect, Kevin Long should not be starting in the Premier League. I don't think Matt Loughton should be starting in the Premier League at this point either. I would have liked to have seen a new wide player brought in to offer something a little bit different. It doesn't have to be a signing. You could have gone and got someone on loan. Someone that offers something that you don't have. Maybe someone like Jack Clark of Tottenham Hotspur. A pacey out-and-out winger that you could play instead of Goodmanson. If you're bringing Goodmanson off, you could bring him on and just get a different look at things. Um, Spurs, on the other hand, I mean, the, the balance is really good in the team. I do have question marks over Eric Dyer at centre-back, but... This team looks formidable. It looks really formidable. Endembele is becoming a key part of it. Lucas Moore is playing well. Youngman Son is playing well. Harry Kane is in great form. Going forward, they they really do look impressive. They have Gareth Bale to come into that option. They have Stephen Bergwin to come into that option. Obviously, there's the Delhi Ali thing, where he's not even in the match day squad again yesterday. Um, but over the course of the season. If if he stays past January, I would expect that he'll have some impact. Carlos Vinicius can come into it as well. Eric Lamella. They are loaded with options. They really, really are. There's very few teams with as many attacking options as Spurs. Uh, they've got good depth in midfield as well. He, uh, Heusberg and, and Sissoko started there yesterday. But obviously they have Lo Celso. 
They have Harry Winks. So, again, they have Jetson Fernandez. If they want to use him, it does appear like he's way down the list. Um, his his lack of progression over the last few years has been really hard to watch. He, at, at 18, 19, looked like he was going to be one of the top midfielders in Europe, and then he just hit a wall and never got any better. So that's a little bit disappointing, but Spurs do have a ton of options in pretty much every position. They've got two options at both fullback spots. They've got their four options at centre-back. The only players they really can't afford to lose are Hugo Lloris, because the drop-off to the next goalkeeper, which is Joe Hart, is is... I mean, it's big. I mean that—that's a hell of that's a—that's not a drop off. That's off the cliff. So they need to keep Hugo Lloris fit, and then Kane, obviously, because he's so important to how they play. He's such an intelligent player, and when people talk about Harry Kane, obviously the goals are what immediately come to mind. But when I watch Harry Kane, he's not a particularly skillful player. He's not a quick player. He's a very good finisher. But what sets him apart is his intelligence. Harry Kane is one of the most intelligent players in the game. You see his movement. You see his reading of the game. You see his understanding of space. You see that he always has that picture in his head of where his teammates are. Harry Kane is just a super intelligent player. And that was on display last night in two separate occasions. First and foremost, he reads the game brilliantly, seeing that his team are defending a corner and that that ball is going to land on the head of a Burnley player. And he takes three steps backwards, positions himself on the line, and is perfectly placed to head the ball clear and save a certain goal because Lloris has beaten all ends up. So he does it then. Then we go down the other end of the pitch. Spurs have a corner. He's falling away, and he manages to direct a perfect cushioned header into the path of young men's son and leave him with a very easy header to finish off and beat Nick Pope. Now, he can't see son. Now, he might have heard him, but he can't see son. What he does is he simply directs that ball into the area of maximum danger. The one spot where... Son is likely to get that ball ahead of a Burnley defender. And he does it perfectly. Son doesn't have to break stride, doesn't have to hesitate, doesn't have to alter his run. He just runs straight onto it and smacks his header past past Nick Pope. Harry Kane is super intelligent. And while if he's out, you can play Son there, you can play Bale. They have Vinicius there now as well. They do have the options. They just, that lack of, of of Kane's intelligence could be could be very very difficult to replace. Now, talent wise, they have the players. There's no question. They've got great options. But if they can keep Kane and Lloris fit, they are title contenders. They just are title contenders. There's no there's no other way to look at them. They are title contenders. So, you know, we're six games in now, and I think what we're seeing is the league is very very competitive. We're seeing a lot of bunching in the table. You look at Everton, top of the league on, on 13 points. United are 15th, but they're only six points off top. There's only three points between the team in first and the team in ninth. 
So the league is super competitive right now. We're seeing a lot of surprising results. This weekend, we had West, West Ham draw at home to Man City. I think that's a pretty surprising result. We had Southampton, who were in the bottom half, beat Everton, who were top. Uh, that's a surprising result. We had Leeds go to Aston Villa, missing a number of key players. Villa were unbeaten, and Leeds wiped the floor with them. There was no outlandish scores, obviously, this weekend. There was no 7-2s or 6-1s or 5-1s, but there were surprises. And every week we're seeing surprising results. I do expect that will change. I do expect that as teams get more into the rhythm, teams get all the players back, we're going to see the cream rise, as is is the norm. But I'm really enjoying the competitive balance in the league right now. You know, there's very few games. I mean, look, I've said from day one, I'm terrible at predictions. I'm not this bad. I'm genuinely not this bad. But it is, it's really hard to predict the outcomes of games now. You've got so many good teams who can beat any other good team on a day. Like like Leeds showed against Villa. You've got the mediocre teams who can just raise their game to face a top team. You've got the likes of West Ham who lost to Newcastle, lost to Arsenal, and then were facing a run of five teams that finished high up in the league last year uh, in, in the top seven. And, you know, comfortable win over Wolves, comfortable win over Leicester, drew with Spurs, having been dead and buried, and drew with, drew with the City at the weekend. You know, these are these little runs of form where they're picking up points against teams that will have expected to comfortably dispatch West Ham. Make no mistake, every one of those teams will have expected to beat West Ham. Liverpool play West Ham at the weekend. They will expect to comfortably beat West Ham. It's not going to be comfortable. They might beat them, but West Ham are going to give them a game. David Moyes has done really, really well at West Ham this year. Now, I've said before, I still think there's a a strong possibility they're in the relegation mix. I don't know whether this is just a run of form or this is actually an indicator of their level. We saw at the end of last season they had a really strong run of results. At the start of last season, they also had a really strong run of results. It was basically from match week 8 through to match week 30 last season where they were an abomination. So it remains to be seen what they can be this year. Um, I, I still think they messed up their summer. I do like the right back they brought in. And I do like uh, Saeed Ben-Rama. I really do like him, but he is not as good as Felipe Anderson. And I would probably rather have Grady Diangana and 7 million or whatever the difference in the price was than Ben-Rama. Ben-Rama is a better player than Diangana now, but you already own Diangana. He's come through your academy. He's homegrown. And you'll have seven million, and he has the potential to at least elevate himself to close to Ben Rama's level. I'd rather have kept Anderson and and Diangana. Me personally, that's what I would have done. But they've made the decisions, and and they'll live by them. 
Um, the, you know, the league is just, it's fun this year. It's fun, it's unpredictable, it's strong. You're only really looking at, I think, four clubs that have had bad starts. But even then, West Brom have still drawn three games. So they can still look at three points and say, that's not a bad return. But Burnley have had a dreadful start. Sheffield United have had an, an atrocious start. And Fulham have had an awful start. If I was Scott Parker, I'd be getting worried. I would be getting worried. The last time they came up, they sacked the manager who brought them up after 12 games when they had five points. He's managed six games this season. He's got one point. Now, their next six games are West Brom, which is an opportunity to win, an opportunity for three points. Then West Ham away, which may be an opportunity for a point, which would match the five points that they got last time up. But then they have Everton, they have Leicester, they have Man City, and they have Liverpool. And that is a killer run. And in the form that they're in, with the way they're playing, with that defence, it's tough to see that they will better the five points they had after 12 games, the last time they were up, when they decided to move on from the manager. And that manager had a couple of years. He had taken over a Fulham team that were doing really badly in the championship. He'd taken over a team that were potentially looking at life in League One. And he turned it round. And then he got them in the playoffs. And then he got them in the playoffs again and brought them up. So he had actually put in a couple of years of graft there. He had built up some credence and credibility. Parker took over Fulham at the end of their last campaign in the Premier League, went down, brought them straight back up with a better squad than the previous manager had inherited. So he he hasn't built that reputation. He hasn't earned those brownie points. I don't think Scott Parker's long for this job. Barring a miraculous turnaround over the next six games, I think we will look at Scott Parker as the first managerial casualty of the season. Because I think Wilder and and Dyche, they're they're both better managers than him. They both have much more in the bank than him in terms of what they've done at their clubs. Especially like Dyche, what he's done at Burnley is incredible. But Wilder took over a team languishing in mid-table in League One. And slowly built them over four years to get them to the Premier League and then finished top half in the Premier League. So I think Dyche and Wilder are probably two of the more secure managers in the league. Uh, whereas Parker doesn't have any of that. He might get a little bit of extra flex because he's a former player who was a very good player for them. But the cans don't mess around. They don't, they don't play when it comes to these things. They have ambitions for that club. And being a yo-yo club is not one of them. They're not investing the type of money they invest to go down and come back up and go down and come back up and go down. It's not what they want. They want to establish that club in the Premier League. So Scott Parker needs to get things working. From a tactical point of view, he does look all at sea. Fulham do look a level below most of the teams, just from a, a pure tactical point of view. 
there looks like there's a lack of instruction, sometimes a lack of any sort of clue. So I'd be concerned about them. I'm concerned about West, about Sheffield United. I'm concerned about Burnley. I really did think those two would be, you know, bottom half but comfortable. I didn't think they'd be in any kind of relegation battle. Sheff- Sheffield United especially. But Burnley's lack of investment is why they are where they are. The failure to back the manager in the transfer window. And then, like, what what a normal club like, say, you know, even Leicester or, or Wolves or Arsenal or any of those clubs, forgetting the, the, the top two, any of the sort of fourth to 11th base teams, if they'd had the number of players out of that Burnley had out, it wouldn't really have been a big issue. But for Burnley, it was massive because they just don't have any depth. So I am concerned about those two clubs. I still back both managers to turn things around. West Brom have been a little bit feistier than I thought, and I, I like that. I think defensively, they're still a bit messy, though. They they still really do need to sort out that defence. January's going to be massive for them. If they can get to January in, in touching distance of the teams above them and go and buy a couple of good defenders to add to the squad, then they'll have a chance. They will give themselves a fighting chance. But if they don't, that, that defence is going to take them down. Um... So, for those that watched Monday Night Football last night, you'll have seen the discussion between Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville uh, around Project Big Picture. For those that haven't, I would urge you to go and find the clips on YouTube, um, or they're on Twitter as well and Facebook, I'm sure. So, basically, Neville is involved in a group that is pushing for an independent adjudicator to come in and kind of oversee the, the football pyramid in England. And he was giving his thoughts on, on Project Big Picture and then Carragher chimed in as well. And I thought it was a really good discussion. I thought they made a lot of really good points, largely because they agreed with most of what I've said um, on, on this podcast, that the demand for the control isn't something that can fly. However, it is likely something that was just thrown in as a, well, let's see what they say to this type of thing. Because I think that what they really want is the Carabao Cup gone and the the league reduced to 18 teams. Now, Kieran Maguire on the Price of Football podcast, he agrees with that as well. That's what he has said. He reckons that the, that the idea of the control was just kind of like, we'll ask for this, we know we won't get it, and then hopefully we'll get the things we really want. And that's exactly how I said it. And I said it first, so I'm taking the win on that one. You'll allow me that. You will after my predictions at the weekend and the abuse I suffered on the Tad Predictable podcast from Mister Drinkle. You will allow me to take my little victory. However, um, yeah, Neville and Carragher they had a really good dis- discussion. Neville is so intelligent. Neville is a real leader in this game. If you were looking for someone to head up a board to oversee the Premier League. I think Neville would be someone you'd want on it. Now, obviously, he couldn't because of his involvement with Salford, but Gary Neville, when he speaks about the game, you can tell he's put thought into everything he says. And he makes just, he makes really, really good points, really valid points about the need to change the game in England, to change it from the grassroots level up, 
to give more financial support from the grassroots level up. I think, like, you look at how hard it is to become a coach in England and how expensive it is compared to clubs like our countries like Germany, Italy, and Spain. And then you look at the number of coaches we're getting coming through the ranks in England compared to Germany, Italy, and Spain. It's staggering. It really is staggering, and largely because it's so incredibly expensive to do those things in England. But, you know, when we talk about grassroots and we talk about the development of young players and, and raising the game up, I mentioned yesterday, there needs to be things, support networks put in place for players that fall out of the pyramid as well. You know, we need programs that players can go into to be retrained. Now, not retrained in cyber like the government would tell them, but maybe retrained in cyber. But, you know, to be retrained as coaches or as referees so they can still have that involvement in the game, even if they're not going to make it on a playing level. And look, if you don't make it a Premier League level at 17, 18, you probably are still good enough to play League One, League Two, or at least go into one of their academies and develop out. Um, you're certainly good enough to go play non-league. So, you know, there are pathways for players and they need that kind of guidance. They need to have people that can explain the different routes to them. And, and you could involve players that have gone different career paths than the norm. You know, I mean, the norm is you come through at an academy, you make the first team, and then you either play out your days there or maybe you get a move to a bigger club or, you know, you don't quite make the grade and you go to a smaller club or you just... You know, you come through at the top club, like, say, Trent Alexander-Arnold or Mason Greenwood or Marcus Rashford, and that's just it. That's your career. You're just you're Liverpool or you're United forever. But then you've got your Jamie Vardy's who come through at non-league level, you know. He, he could be so beneficial to young players that are looking at, at the drop from a Premier League academy to non-league and explaining to them, it's not the end of the world. You're going to go there. You're going to be the best player at that level. You're going to stand out. And if you continue to work hard and you stand out at that level, you will get your move back up. If you're standing out at any level, if you're the best player in non-league football, you're going to get attention from League One and League Two clubs. If you're the best player in League One or League Two, you're going to get attention from the championship. If you're the best player in the championship, you get it from the Premier League. If you're the best player in a non-top six club, in the Premier League, you're going to get attention from that top six. And even if you're the best player at the best club in the Premier League, then you're going to get attention from Real, Barca, Bayern, PSG, the clubs with money. So there's always a way to level up. Always. What we need to have in place is more programs to help players understand this. And guide them on their path. And that needs to be part of the restructuring of football. Um, the one thing I do take issue with though. Uh, was Carragher. Saying that. What made him uncomfortable with the whole thing. Was that Liverpool and United. Being the two driving forces behind it. Uh, both owned by Americans. Now. He mentioned the previous owners. Of both clubs. David Moore's at Liverpool. Uh, who's actually not the previous owner. Tom Hex and George Gillette were the previous owner, but David Morris was the owner before that, and Martin Edwards at uh, Manchester United. Now, let's just recap on both of them. Both of them, oh, he said 
the American owners were in it to make a few quid and then sell the clubs. So David Moore's sold Liverpool, having made a few quid, to dreadful owners in Tom Hicks and George Gillette. Just gifted them the club. We didn't really look into who they were or you know, what their track record was or what their plans for the club was or how they were financing the club. Just sold, sold it to them to make a few quid. Within four years, Liverpool were heading for administration. Martin Edwards tried to sell United multiple times Put them up on the stock market. Turn them from a football club into a commercial entity. All to make a few quid. And then sold them to the Glazers. Without looking into their track record, their plans for the club, how they were financing the deal. So you're telling me that you're uncomfortable with the Americans because they're in it for a few quid and to sell the club. But you had no problem with the English lads that were in it for the few quid and to sell the club and didn't care who or what they sold it to. Like, do me a favor. Like, do me a favor on this one. And have a think before those words come out of your mouth, Jamie. You're better than that. You know better than that. Now, the one point that they did manage to make, or that he managed to make, was that it was the bottom six or eight clubs in the league that voted against Project Restart. They didn't want the league to restart because they didn't want to help out the clubs below them. They wanted the season to be null and void or to, to just end. They wanted no relegation from the Premier League. They wanted to ensure the status quo that they stayed where they are. We've also had uh, Burnley and Crystal Palace owned by English people, managed by English people, as the two clubs that really spoke out against financial assistance for the EFL. So don't don't give me the nonsense that it is foreign owners that are the issue here. No, it's not. Not in any way. It doesn't matter where they're from. It really doesn't matter where the owners are from. What matters is who they are and what they do. You can look at the Glazers and there's loads of problems with them. I mean, well, there's no point in getting into it, but there's loads of problems with their ownership of Manchester United. You look at the at John Henry and how he has run Liverpool, and then you try and find me a better man, a better owner anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world, you go find me a better owner of a football club, and I'll wait here for your answer because you'll be a long, long time looking for one. So don't give me the crap that it's Americans in it for a few quid. That are the problem here. That it's all about greed. That's not the issue. The greed has been displayed by the British owners. The unwillingness to help out, the lack of caring for the football pyramid, has been displayed by the English owners. The in-it-for-themselves mentality has been displayed by the English owners. And you can look up and down the football pyramid. And the the worst owners we have seen, the reason that Bury went out of business, Macclesfield, British owners. 
it's concerning to me that, that Carragher would go there. Because it's just a stupid thing to say. And he knows better. He's better than that. He really is better than that. Um, one of the other things that's been controversial in the Premier League has been this pay-per-view nonsense. Most people have not been buying it. Thankfully, I have been advising you all, get yourself an IPTV. Get a VPN from Liberty, Liberty Shield using my code EPLVPN for 20% off. And you avoid the uh, £15 pay-per-view fee. Uh, I believe 74 or 79 people watched uh, West Brom against Burnley last week. That did send a message. That has continued. More and more fan bases, Newcastle, Leeds, Liverpool, uh, rather than buying the game, they're donating that money to charity and watching it somewhere else. And uh, that has apparently forced a rethink from the Premier League. Uh, the latest figure been floated around is that it could be dropped to £10. Mike Ashley, in a surprising move, has come out and said he thinks £5. And you know what? I think £5 is kind of a fair price. If you're going to do it, I do think £5 is fair. I think £10 is still too much. Now, don't get me wrong. I think £5 is too much. I think £1 would be too much if you're already having to pay for BT and for Sky and for whatever else you've got. So I, I, I do think any fee is, is too much. They just include them as part of the package. Uh, if you're going to lose a bit of money, you're going to lose a bit of money for, for a year. Tough. You make more than enough every other year. But um, I'm really surprised. I'm really, really happy to see Mike Ashley uh, be one of those to come out and say, let's just drop this to, to a fiver. I, I would still, you know, advise boycotting pay-per-view and, and donating that money to your local food bank or, or your local homeless shelter. But um, it, it is good to see that they're at least they're aware of people's dislike for it. The £10 thing would still be tone deaf. But if they did drop it to a fiver, at least it would be it would be a big step in the right direction. And it would be a, it's a fairer price. Like it is a fairer price. So, you know, if they do drop to a fiver, fair play. Um wrap up with a bit of gossip. Uh, Frank Lampard is apparently ready to reintegrate Antonio Rudiger into his first team plans following talks with the German centre half, who has been linked with Tottenham and PSG. The fact that uh, he was linked with two clubs better than uh, two teams better than Chelsea should kind of give an indication that maybe he is worth keeping. Uh, I, I think he's a little bit error prone myself, but he's certainly better than some of the other dreck they've been rolling out at centre back. Uh, Skrodan Mustafi has rejected Arsenal's contract offer uh, to sign an extension. There's a couple of things here. So, number one, why on earth would you want to extend his contract? He has been an unmitigated disaster since the day you signed him. Now, I understand that you want to protect your investment or whatever. But at this point, the amortization of his contract will have null and voided the transfer fee. So it's not on your books anymore. Um, you're not going to get much money from anyway, even if you try and sell him. So just let him go and just mark it down as a mistake. The guys in charge of the club right now, they weren't there when he was signed. So just let him leave. He has been a bad player for Arsenal. Simple as that. Uh, Mikel Arteta disagreed with Edu over the deadline day signing of Thomas Partey with Leon's 22-year-old midfielder, Hossim Awar, his preferred midfield target. Awar may have been his preferred, preferred midfield target 
uh, Thomas Partey was much more the signing they needed at that time. Though, age-wise, Awar definitely fits the timeline better for Arsenal. It's partly why I thought Bubakari Samara would have been a better option than Partey. It's that bit younger, fits more the timeline of the likes of Saliba, Gabriel, Martinelli and Saka and Tierney and those young players that they have there. But Thomas Partey is, is a substantially better player than Hossamara at this point in time and will be of more help. Uh, three Premier League players failed a drug test during the 2019-20 season but escaped punishment as they were granted a, therape- a therapeutic use exemption which allows an athlete to take a prescribed medicine, a prescribed substance for, substance for medical reason. I'm not sure what it is. If this was in America, I would suggest that it was medical marijuana. Um, I'm not sure what the case is going to be here, but they've been uh, they've escaped punishment as they were granted exemptions. Um, whether or not we see more of this, I don't know. Uh, Liverpool have no interest in signing Schalke defender Osan Kabak, and were bemused by reports linking them with the 20-year-old Turkey international over the weekend. Now, the journalist who wrote this said on the 21st of August, I actually asked the question whether Liverpool were in for Thiago for the fourth time on Sunday and was told, probably the most forcibly yet, that this is a transfer rooted in fantasy. This man has no idea what Liverpool are doing. He just makes stuff up on the fly. I can tell you for a fact Liverpool have interest in Osan Kabak. Whether he's the one they sign, I don't know. They're definitely interested in a couple of others. But for a fact, they are interested in him. They have spoken to Schalke about him. They did really look at it at the end of the transfer window and then decided to stick with what they had, not knowing that you know the Van Dijk injury was coming. But he is making stuff up again. Uh, moving on. Football Association chairman Greg Clark raised the threat of a European breakaway league by top clubs at the start of talks over Project Big Picture in February. Because everybody's known for years that it was eventually going to come along. Uh, Crystal Palace have opened talks with Andros Townsend over a new contract after fending off interest from West Brom. Makes sense. Makes sense to keep hold of him. He's, He's an important player for them. Tottenham hope to negotiate an early termination of English left back Danny Rose's contract. But the 30-year-old intends to demand the full 2.5 million plus remaining on his deal, which runs out in June. I have had quite a lot of sympathy for Danny Rose for how he's been. And I don't want to say treated. It's not like he's been badly treated. He's just he's not a player that Spurs want to use anymore. Mourinho hasn't has decided not to use him. Uh, he should have taken a move. I've lost I've lost all all patience with him. He could have taken a move in the summer. He had options. He could have dropped down a level. He could have gone back to Newcastle. Uh, he's he's just decided to, you know, try and eke out every penny of that deal. And he and he has his right to do that, but you've, you're throwing your career away. You are throwing your career away. You'll be 31 when your deal is up. You're not going to be as attractive to, to certain clubs. Um, no, I've had enough of Danny Rose. Uh, the Premier League may sideline the Football Association to persuade the Home Office to bring in a special visa system as the row over post-Brexit quotas continues. Um, Let's be clear. If the rules change to enforce more English players and less foreign players, that is going to put Premier League clubs in a massive competitive disadvantage when it comes to European competition. 
So they need to sort something out. Uh, Premier League uh, Chiefs are, will discuss the new turnover pay per view. That's yeah, that's that's we've covered that. We've co- we've covered that. Uh, West Ham players are backing David Moyes to be handed a contract extension following the club's resurgence since lockdown, but the owners may delay opening talks until they're fully convinced the club will not be dragged into a relegation fight. He's six games into the season. He doesn't need a new contract. He doesn't need a new contract. He can get his new contract at Christmas if they're still doing well. Um, Samuel Titi has dismissed suggestions of a move to Arsenal. Wouldn't make any sense. They already have Gabriel, who plays the same left-sided position. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's got himself into a little bit of bother for going back into Italy with his coronavirus <laughs> rather than staying where he was. Uh, so he's going to be investigated for that. Uh, Henry Lansborough has turned in an offer from Aston Villa to end his contract at the club. I think he should have taken it. I think there's a lot of championship clubs that would do would do well to get uh, Henry Lansborough in, and um, I think he would. I think he would do quite well there as well. Um, Pep Guardiola insists Manchester United considered signing a striker in the summer, but could not find the right deal. What he actually said was they couldn't afford one. Let's be fair. Yeah, what he actually said was. We couldn't afford it. You hadn't spent seven hundred million on defenders, Pep. Maybe you have a bit of money left over for a striker. Maybe, maybe you just have a few quid left over. You've already got Aguero and, and Gabi Jesus. What do you need another striker for? You need a winger. You need a left back. Uh, but you've you've spent seven hundred and fifty million bajillion on defenders in your time there. It's just ridiculous. Um, and most of them have flopped. Uh, former Chelsea midfielder Mikel Essien has backed Frank Lampard to find the right formula. Of course, he's backed him. He's backed his buddy. It, it's nonsense. It's the same thing as when the ex, when Rio Ferdinand comes out and slaps the table. All he's at the wheel, Manchester United. It's nonsense. He's backing his mate. It doesn't make any difference. Like they're not going to criticise them. Lampard is doing a bad job. Ollie's doing a bad job, and their mates won't criticise them because they're their mates. It's just that simple. Arsenal fans have raised 34000 for a local charity by donating to it instead of paying to watch Sunday's pay-per-view game against Leicester. This is exactly what I'm talking about. That is fantastic to see. Well done, Arsenal fans. That is absolutely tremendous. An Everton fan is hoping to find a wall in Liverpool City Centre uh, after crowdfunding £5,000 for a new mural to celebrate the club. I'm not sure what they're celebrating here, and I'm not trying to be obnoxious with that. I just don't know what they're ce- if they're just celebrating the fact that the club exists. It's a little bit weird. Uh, are they celebrating being top after six games? Is it the draw with Liverpool? I don't know. Well, who knows what they're celebrating? But they want to celebrate their club. Great. It, it seems weird to do it at this point. Uh, right, that's it. That is the show for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Fox Haunt for our title music. Thank you to producer Guy Drinkle for his incredible work, as always, and his patience with me as I continually keep him late. And uh, thank you again just for all your support over these 50 episodes. Um, this has been so much fun to do. I'm looking forward to the next 50. Um, stick with me, hopefully. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye.
Social Podcast Network.